0: Take your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts, chapter 15, Acts 15. We find ourselves in Acts 15 where Paul and Barnabas have traveled to Jerusalem to address with some other church leaders the matter of whether a person had to be circumcised to become a Christian. Many Jews who had affirmed the gospel felt that circumcision was a necessary component. And the Apostle Paul. And Barnabas, Peter, and some of the elders of the church felt that the gospel is sufficient. You didn't need to be circumcised. And certain facts of this encounter, Luke, who's the author of of Acts, uh, made clear. For instance, he said that the debate was a big deal. It was a big deal in terms of importance, but it was also a big deal in terms of Intensity. I mean, this was a Donnybrook that they had. Paul and Barnabas had plenty of experience on their first missionary journey uh, of seeing God changing lives through the gospel. So, from experience, then also later from a New Testament perspective, nothing could be clearer than the adequacy of the gospel to change lives. All those cases in Acts, people were not having to be circumcised in order to come to Christ. You don't need to be circumcised to be forgiven of sins or being reconciled to God. The gospel is sufficient for that. Paul would write in Galatians, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. Certainly we see, not only then, but also today, that the gospel is attacked. The gospel is besmirched. It is denied, but it cannot be contained. North Korea, the number one country in terms of persecution of Christians, has witnessed a growth of Christianity to the tune that now there are 300,000 Christians within North Korea. That's in spite of the fact that Christians are being imprisoned, they're being tortured, they're being put to death for the sake of the gospel. You know, countries who block the light of the gospel are like the man who thinks that he's blocking the sun from the earth by putting his hand in front of his face. You cannot contain the gospel. We could give personal testimony here of hundreds of people in this church who've been transformed by the gospel, thousands more in our community who have been transformed by the gospel. My own life in the ninth grade, transformed by the gospel. When we put our trust in Christ, our sins are forgiven, we become a new person. It's not about a denomination. It's not about a religious movement. It's not about a subscription To some subcultural code in evangelicalism that has nothing to do with our sins being forgiven or in a pure walk with Christ. The fact is, the evil that is in the world is being addressed one life at a time from the inside out through the power of the gospel. The gospel is powerful And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. You read a passage like this, and it's often easy to pass up the obvious things but I think that would be injurious to the passage if we did that. Let us not pass up the simple fact that in verse six, it says, the apostles and elders gathered to consider this matter. There was no running from the problem. There was a willingness to confront that which demanded attention. Maybe you have a family conflict. Maybe there is a church issue. Perhaps there is some ordeal at your job. Most conflicts can be rectified or solved by simply initiating a civil discussion. But we need the courage to step forward, to take that first step. On the screen, you see a picture of Ruby Bridges. Ruby was a six-year-old black girl who was the first person of color to attend an all-white school in New Orleans, Louisiana. The faith of Ruby's parents were a big encouragement for her to attend school at this place. Her mother would tell her, Jesus faced the mob too. Numerous obstacles were placed in front of her to keep her from attending this school, including having a test given to her and some other black classmates to enter into the school. This is kindergarten. They had to take a test. She passed. She got in. There were also other things that she had to do. She had to face vicious racial slurs every time she walked into the school. There would be a group of students and parents there, angry white parents, pulling their kids from the school, throwing things at her. One woman had a black doll in a little coffin for her to see. No student would attend class with Ruby and no teacher would teach her, except for one, a lady who was from Boston, who volunteered to teach Ruby. Guess how large the class was? One student. One student. Her family paid a price. Her father lost his job because of it. Her mother was no longer allowed to shop at the grocery store that they went to. Her grandparents were evicted from their home of 25 years. And yet we see the bravery of a six-year-old girl who, yes, with the encouragement of her parents, took that first step. Let me ask you this. What faces you today that necessitates you taking a step to resolve a matter that you may be in? The first step of resolution Ruby Bridges faced certain opposition and stepped forward, and she paved the way for desegregation in American schools. Paul faced certain opposition from a religious crowd, and when he stepped forward to face those who perverted the good news, he gave a voice for the gospel to flourish. But if change is to occur, someone has to step forward, what step will you take to face the challenge that is in front of you? Many of you faithfully, so here's your Super Bowl illustration, many of you faithfully move the ball down the field. You like that? Okay, I just threw that in there for you football fans, all right? but I seriously want to thank each of you because when you serve and you faithfully serve, you do this often in the face of pain. You do this sometimes with fear, but even in the face of that, you serve anyway continually. Let us not think that Paul and Barnabas and Peter, they were without fears. They were void of personal issues, that they didn't have pain. They simply choose something that was bigger than their own feelings, bigger than themselves, they chose something that was more important. Their own pain and fear did not stop them from stepping forward and advancing the kingdom of God. The Judaic supporters and Pharisees gave their arguments before the leader spoke. And Paul Barnabas and Peter and James and others listened. They listened to the arguments they did not agree with. Let us not just gloss over what is happening, but understand that a discussion took place. Oh, that the church could listen to this. A discussion. They did not limit it by a foregone conclusion, you know, established at the beginning. The opposing side had a chance to speak. Some people cannot listen to things that might confront them, to things that might challenge them. It's unfortunate. And unfortunately, that's also in the church. We have to give an opposing side a chance to speak. Nothing causes angry feelings and confusion more than a leader who sandbags a meeting by ramrodding a decision and shutting down discussion. Much debate took place here over parts of the Mosaic law being necessary for salvation. Yet Peter speaks boldly and he says, God, from the beginning, made the message clear that the gospel was the criteria to be reconciled to God and nothing else. About 10 years before this Jerusalem council took place, God chose a Gentile named Cornelius to hear the gospel from Peter. And Cornelius and others came to faith and were given the gift of the Holy Spirit. There was no circumcision There was no prerequisite for obedience to the Mosaic law, yet God granted them salvation and gave them the sign of that by giving them the Holy Spirit to indwell in them. And Peter is saying the fact that the Gentiles had received the Spirit, just as Peter, just as other Jewish Christians, is proof that God had accepted Cornelius and his fellow Gentiles on equal footing, Jew and Gentile. God knows the hearts, he goes on to say, of all men. And he was cleansing Gentiles, just as he did Jews, cleansing them from their sin the same way as he cleansed the Jews. How? By faith. By faith. It was not outward religious observance. It was not circumcision. That was not part of the equation. You know, the premise of Paul's argument, all the premises, they're valid. His logic, it was airtight. I mean, the arguments in favor of keeping the law could not stand up to the case that Peter gave. And yet many of this Pharisee crowd were still going to follow the Mosaic law no matter what God had revealed to them, no matter what kind of a case Peter made. See, it is naive to think that people will automatically, you know, submit to the truth if they just hear it. That all you gotta do is tell the truth and that people's minds will be changed. It doesn't always happen. The alcoholic and drug addict. Know in their head, they are destroying themselves. But they rush headlong into their addiction anyway. And it's the same with many religious people who are faced with reasons why legalism and adding to the gospel are not consistent with the truth of the Bible. They will choose the deception. Why? Because their pride will not allow them to admit the error. That's why it's often best not to communicate your opinion every time you hear something. Because once the words are spoken and you let your opinion known and then you become challenged, you're on the defensive, even though you're wrong many times, right? But you've laid yourself out there. It's naive to think that people are gonna abide by the truth by just hearing it. The fact is, I have met many people who refuse to even have a discussion. They can't even hear another side. I'm talking about within the church. Why? I guess maybe they love their reputation more than the truth. See, open discussions, we ought to to welcome. You know why? Because we are to be people of the book. We are to be people of the truth. And if you can share with me something where I'm an heir, then I would love the truth enough to welcome that and say, you know what? You're right. I think I'm going to change my mind about that. That's the way it should work. It's a good thing if we have issues like that brought up. And then our thinking can align our hearts with the truth. So in one sense, I think we need to give credit to the Jews and to, and I'm talking about the Judaizers, and to Peter and Paul and... Um, you know, I wanted to say Mary right after that, but Peter and Paul and, and James and the elders who came together, at least they had the discussion, right? We have to give them credit for that. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear, but we believe that we'll be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Peter's argument is incriminatory to the opposition. As Jews, you have not been able to fulfill the law. No man under the, new, uh, under the old covenant has been able to follow the law. Every Old Testament person under that system broke the law. That's why the old covenant had sacrifices. It would postpone the judgment that would come upon people giving the law. They would have to do it every year. And it wasn't until Christ came that a sacrifice was given that would cover our sins, past, present, and future. And so Peter asked, do you former Pharisees intend again to burden People with that old yoke? Jesus Christ is the perfect high priest, the, the spotless lamb of God. He's the only one that can truly remove sins. Paul would write, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking law, for it is written the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. The Gentiles look at your life as Jews. They see you breaking the law, and they're laughing at you, and they're laughing at your God. Again, in Galatians 5.1, it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. See, to seek to impose the law upon the Gentiles was to test God. They were questioning whether what God said about the inability of the law to be a vehicle for salvation was true. Do you really think that you could get away with your own works for salvation? Are you gonna test God with that? Salvation for anyone is through faith in God's provision and nothing else. And what we do is, even as evangelical churches, when we voice things upon people, on top of the Scripture, and even lifestyle things and, and demand that the whole church, you know, follow some subcultural rules that we set out, we put a burden upon people. We don't trust the Holy Spirit to work in people's life with just the word of God. No, we've got to add to that some extra rules. You know, make sure that people are kept in place. You know what that does? Creates a yoke. Creates stress. That's not freedom. That's bondage. For over 100 years, Michelin has not only produced high-quality auto tires, but you might be surprised to know they're also a premier guide to fine dining. Don't ask me how they got into that business and tires, but achieving or losing even one star of Michelin's restaurant rating can have a dramatic effect on the success of a restaurant. One famous French chef claimed Michelin is the only guide that counts. That's why the restaurant world was shocked when Sebastian Brass, one of France's most celebrated chefs declared that he wanted to be dropped from Michelin's rankings. For over 20 years, Brass had been honored with the highest rating. Michelin's restaurant judges called his food spellbinding. Quite a term for food. I've never had that given to me of the meat when I take it off the grill. Spellbinding, Kevin. But that was his food. But in September 2017, Brass, get this, he said the pressure to perform was too much. He announced, hey, at 46 years old, I want to give a new meaning to my life and redefine what is essential. He said his job had give him a lot of satisfaction, but there was also huge pressure that was inevitably linked to the three Michelin stars first given to the restaurant in 1999. He asked to be allowed to do his work, listen to this, with a free spirit and a serenity away from the world of rankings, without tension. He went on to say, maybe I'll be less famous, but I accept that, adding that he continued to cook excellent local produce, without wondering whether my creations will appeal to Michelin's inspectors. You ever feel like there are church or denominational inspectors? Sebastian Brass just described the heart of many within the church who just wish that they could escape the guilt-ridden motivations and shame foisted upon them by individuals, by groups, by churches. God help us. If we've done that, I apologize if I've ever done that to you. I don't want to, I don't mean to, but if it's happened, please let me know so I can do something different. Thank you, there's one. With my ego, I'll take that, so I must be doing a good job. That's all I need. Usually, I just look in the mirror. You're doing a good job, all right? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Not true, all right? Not true. <laughs> My dear friends, I propose a gospel that leads to a Christian life that produces a free spirit, serenity. Not the, the crippling tension that comes from trying to please you know, some code, some crowd, some group, some denomination, some person. We have been forgiven from all our sin. We are already accepted Amen. because of the work of Jesus Christ. I'm not promoting a laissez-faire attitude toward our life in Christ but one that is motivated from a firm foundation already in place, one that promotes love with sincerity and obedience with joy. And so I invite you to taste him, Jesus Christ, because he is good, he is lovely, he is beautiful, and when we abide in him, those traits will be in us as well. That's what the Christian life is was intended to be, let's try really hard not to make it anything else but that. Let's pray.